Friends, let's pray together as we turn our attention to the scriptures. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to praise you. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from you in your word. And we pray right now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of it for our good and for your glory. Amen. I want to ask you to grab a Bible and open with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. You know, God has displayed his glory in many times and in many ways throughout the course of human history. Glory, the word glory, can be defined very simply as beauty or splendor. Glory is that aspect of a person that makes them worthy of praise, worthy of honor, worthy of respect. Sometimes glory is associated with the accomplishments that one achieves. God is the God of glory. He is the pinnacle standard of beauty and splendor, of awe and of might. Friends, one of our biggest shortcomings in this life is that we lose sight of just how incredibly glorious God is. And in our general propensity to sin, we, in denying or overlooking his glory, so often pursue things of much lesser glory. But God is the one who defines what is beautiful and what encompasses splendor. And when we remember his glory, when we see his glory, when we experience his glory, we again can do nothing but yield ourselves to him and properly elevate him to his position. This morning as we turn our attention to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, this is a passage about the glory of God that is displayed in a very particular way through the new covenant. The word glory as you'll hear in a moment, is used 12 times in 11 verses. When you see that kind of repetition in a biblical passage, you sit up and you pay close attention. And what Paul is talking about here seems to engage the idea that God's glory at times has been veiled and at other times is unveiled. Think about the idea of a veil with me for a moment. What is a veil? A veil, if you see the bride walking down the aisle, the bride is sometimes wearing a veil over her face to shield the beauty of this woman on the big day. And when she lifts the veil, her splendor is displayed for the groom and for all in attendance. A veil is also traditionally worn sometimes at funerals. It's to cover the emotion and the grief and the pain of those who have lost a loved one. And so a veil is a covering. It's it's a covering that has a purpose. And as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we see a very carefully crafted argument by Paul that's designed to help us to think differently about our salvation, about how God relates to us in in this new covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives, Paul gives us a theological argument here. 
And the temptation is for us that when we read a passage of Scripture is to immediately try to jump to the application. What does this mean for me right now? What am I supposed to do as a result of what I hear? And when we do that, we risk overlooking the substance of a detailed argument like this. Because here's the reality. I know it's going to be shocking. Not every Bible passage is about you. But every Bible passage is for you. And so what we see here is an argument that doesn't give us direct application or commands, but has wonderful, wonderful practical implications for you in your walk with the Lord. And so with that, follow with me as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. This is what it says. Paul writes, Now if the ministry of death carved in the letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In this section, we see an argument for glory, for a soft heart, for a new set of covenant promises that God gives. And it's all rooted in the contrast between the series of, of events surrounding Exodus chapters 32 to 34 and what God has done by his spirit in the lives of people through the new covenant with the Lord Jesus. And so to understand what is really happening in this argument, you need to have at least a framework understanding of what's happening way back in Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34. So let me just describe it for you and remind you of it. God had delivered his people, Israel, from Egypt. He had taken them into the wilderness on the way to the land that the Lord had promised them. Moses was the prophet who was leading them, and he mediated a covenant between God and God's people, Israel. If you're new to Christianity or don't understand some of the terms like a covenant. A covenant is just very simply an agreement between God and his people regarding how they would relate to one another. 
It's the boundaries of their relationship, and it had expectations and commands attached to it. Covenant has blessings attached to it, and it has consequences if those relational boundaries are broken. God's covenant with Israel was in line with his will for them, with his attributes, and with his character. And so in Exodus chapter 32, Moses had been on Mount Sinai with God, relating to him, and God sharing with Moses the covenant, the way that he would relate to his people Israel going forward. And as a result, Moses receives the law on the stone tablets, and it says, written by the finger of God. What a sight. But while he was on the mountain, God saw what was happening in the valley. That the people of Israel had convinced their priest Aaron to make them a golden calf to worship. They desired a physical manifestation of God that they could see, that they could touch, that they could feel, and they desired something that displayed splendor and beauty. They desired glory. But the glory they desired was a lesser glory. It wasn't the greatest glory. And so Moses comes down the mountain. God was enraged. His stiff-necked people had rebelled again. And as Moses came down the mountain, pronouncing judgment upon them in anger, he threw the tablets of the law, this covenant, on the ground, written by the finger of God, and they shattered into pieces. Upon the founding of this covenant, it had already been broken. God, in his glory, his splendor, his beauty, and his holiness, could not reside among these people lest they be completely destroyed. And so Moses set up a tent outside of the camp of Israel, not in the camp, outside the, outside the camp, and it was called the tent of meeting. And whenever Moses would enter the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend upon the tent, and Moses would converse with the Lord as friends converse with each other. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses asks God very daringly a request. They're talking back and forth about these people, Israel, and Moses is pleading with God to spare them, and he says to God, show me your glory. And Moses went back up the mountain. He received the stone tablets again. He encounters the Lord in a unique Way, and listen to the description of his return to the people. It says this, Exodus chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking to God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, or shone brightly, and they were afraid to come near him. 
But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses had beheld God's glory and his face was radiant because of it. The covenant that God had made through this law was an act of glory. Moses was the mediator between God and the people of that covenant and of God's glory. But that glory had to be veiled. God would guide them, but the tent of meeting would remain outside of the camp, not in and among them. Moses would be among them and his face illuminated, shining bright because of God's glory was mediating a glory to them, but it would be veiled. God's glory would consume these hard-hearted people if he was among them. And as a result, the veil remained drawn. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul takes the backdrop of that glory and he gives us three comparisons in an attempt to show how the old covenant was glorious, the covenant mediated by Moses to the people of Israel, but the new covenant mediated by Jesus to the people is even more glorious. And he says this in three ways. Verses 7 and 8 points us to the fact that the law that brings death is glorious, but it's not as glorious as the ministry of the Spirit. Look at it with me in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The glory of God shone so brightly that the people of Israel could not abide him in their presence. They would die. They could not abide the glory, even reflected glory upon Moses' face. He had to wear a veil. But there is no veil in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is not outside of the camp. The Spirit of God dwells in and among God's people. The Spirit of God even dwells within God's people who have faith in Jesus. And therefore, this ministry is even more glorious. The second lesser to greater comparison is seen in the next verse, verse 9. We might summarize it by saying that the ministry of condemnation is glorious. But it's not as glorious as the ministry that brings righteousness. Look at verse 9. For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Now, how on earth could a ministry of condemnation be glorious, you might ask? The glory that occurs in the condemnation of the Old Testament law 
is a glory that is rooted in perfection. And that glory is real. What is perfect and beautiful is glorious. There's nobody like God. He is the perfect one and the beautiful one. Beauty and splendor are seen in his perfection. Every thought, every word, every action from God is completely perfect all the time. It's never unbalanced. It's never off kilter. Perfect and glorious. And the law of the Old Testament points us to the reality that when we interact with a perfect and glorious God, that we too must interact with him in a perfect and glorious way. And the law outlines how to do that. But because we are not perfect and glorious, we stand condemned. So the ministry of the law is a ministry that ultimately leads to condemnation. God is perfect We can't live up to his standard due to our sin. This is very bad for us, but it points to the splendor of God, and as a result, it's glorious. But here's the thing. In the new covenant, through the Lord Jesus, God sees, knows, reconciles, and recognizes and provides for those who can't be completely righteous. In fact, he doesn't expect us to live completely righteously. He gives us righteousness. Jesus gives us his perfect righteous standing and he takes our sinful standing. That is the divine imputation and transaction of the cross. And not only Are we then given righteousness in a ministry of righteousness that's more glory? We see that we are growing in righteousness from that day forward as well. That you will, through your faith in the Lord Jesus and faithful obedience to him and the ministry of the Spirit in your life as mediated in this new covenant, you will become more righteous from the day of your salvation until the day of your death. That's why Romans 8, 1 and 2 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the first lesser to greater comparison is the ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of the spirit. Ministry of the spirit is more glorious. The second that we just talked about is this ministry of, con- of condemnation is glorious, but the ministry that brings righteousness is even more glorious. And the third is found in verses 10 and 11, that the ministry that comes to, to an end has glory, but the ministry that is permanent has more glory. Look at verse 10, it says this, indeed, In this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The old covenant of the law is referred to as 
old, (laughs) not because it lacked glory. Indeed, it had great glory. It was referred to as old because something new had come. The Lord Jesus Christ, his ministry, the ministry of the Holy Spirit that followed, and this ministry is permanent in its nature. It will not change between the day of its inauguration and the day of Christ's return. And therefore, it enjoys greater honor, greater beauty, greater splendor as the kingdom of God expands on the earth, as men and women and boys and girls put their faith in a savior to forgive their sins, as the spirit indwells more and more of the people of God, and glory is what is shown. And so you see, all three of these comparisons are helping the Corinthians and helping you and helping me to see how this new covenant, this salvation that you have access to right now is far superior It is of infinitely greater glory than what preceded it. The message of the gospel, the ministry of the Spirit, and even this ministry of Paul himself. Greater glory. Greater glory compared to the law. And the same could be said if it was contrasted with any other religious system or ideology or matrix for how people try to relate to God. God has given a covenant which gives him incredible glory and gives us incredible grace. God dwells now in and among his people, not on the outskirts of the camp. His presence is not veiled. His glory does not presently consume those who struggle in sin. This glory happens by the Spirit. It brings righteousness and it's permanent in its nature. What a tremendous reality. In the second half of this text, we see how the effects of this new covenant are brought to bear. And if you start to think about your relationship with God and the order in which God arranges things and the ministry of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life, you begin to see and to feel and to know that there is a hope that comes there. And this hope provides boldness. Paul says this in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul, though beaten, imprisoned, slandered, much maligned, was still bold. He's bold because he knows the end and therefore he can endure the middle. He's like the marathon runner who hits the wall at mile 17 or 18 or 19, but he still runs toward the finish line. He's the prize fighter who stands boldly in the ring even though he's taking a pounding because he knows he can outlast his opponent. He's like the person in the 18th year of their marriage where husband and wife both realize that things aren't going so well and it's very hard, but they stay the course. They keep sacrificing, they keep loving, they keep giving because they know that God will honor their faithfulness and the faithfulness of their spouse and things will get better. To be veiled is the opposite of being bold. And unlike Moses, Paul enjoyed boldness. Friends, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and 
the permanent ministry of this Holy Spirit, then you too can be bold. (laughs) As bold as Paul is bold. Bold in your faith. Bold in your confidence. Bold in your evangelizing. Bold in your stand against those who oppose the Lord. That is one of the effects of being a new covenant Christian today. You know the end. And so you can be bold in the middle. And that's rooted in your hope. The second effect in verses 14 through 16 is that Christ lifts the veil which is over our hearts. And in these verses we see described what is is a sort of a complicated way to point to the fact that a veil was not only over the face of Moses to hide the glory of God from them, But there's also a veil over the hearts of people. This was true of the Israelites in Paul's time. It was true of the Israelites in Moses' time. And it's true of many, many, many people today. Paul expresses it this way. He says that when the Old Testament and its law was read, which had the chief purpose, remember, of pointing people to their need for a Savior, when it was read, a veil remained over their hearts. And their hearts were hardened. But then comes the incredible news of verse 16. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That you cannot just take back the veil yourself. Turning to the Lord is the only way the veil can be removed. For Israel, the rejection of Jesus as the Savior who forgives them of their sins only hardened them further and kept the veil in place. Sadly, the only one that could lift the veil was the one that they were rejecting. The same need not be true for you. Some of us here today are hardened toward God. We're hardened toward Jesus. Perhaps it's due to hurt or apathy, or self-determination, or pride. I think of the classic example of an almost conversion to Christ that happened to Lord Kenneth Clark, one of Great Britain's most prominent art historians and authors. He's a producer of the BBC television series, Civilization. And in an autobiographical account, he writes when he was living in a villa in France and he had a curious episode. This is what he says. He said, I had a a religious experience. It took place in the church of San Lorenzo, but it did not seem to be connected with the harmonious beauty of the architecture. I can only say that for a few minutes, my whole being was radiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever experienced before. This state of mind lasted for several minutes. But wonderful as it was, it posed an awkward problem in terms of action. My life was far from blameless. I would have to reform. My family would think that I was going mad, and perhaps, after all, it was a delusion. For I was in every way unworthy of such a flood of grace. Gradually, the effect wore off, and I made no effort to retain it. I think I was right. I was too deeply embedded in the world to change course. 
but I had felt the finger of God quite sure and although memory of this experience has faded, it still helps me to understand the joys of the saints. What a terribly sad account. It sounds like someone who saw, <laughs> who experienced, who felt an element of the glory of God, but the veil remained. And Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, then the veil is removed. And the application couldn't be more plain. If you want a relationship with God, if you want to relate to God, but you are hardened in your heart, then the answer is to turn to Jesus. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Ask Jesus to be your Lord, and you will experience the glory of God. The veil will be lifted. The heart of stone will become a heart of flesh. The Spirit will work in your life, and you will begin to see clearly for the first time. And as much as you will have ups and downs from that day until the day of his return or the day of your death, it will never fade because the veil is gone. And that is the effect of this new covenant. The third and final that I wanna talk about this morning, the benefit of this new covenant is found for those who embrace the Lord Jesus is that we are being transformed. I love the expression of verse 18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, the veil's gone, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Your heart doesn't have to be veiled. Your sight doesn't have to be veiled. God's glory need not be veiled. He will not consume you because of your sin. Why? Because you have the righteousness of his perfect son, the Lord Jesus, through faith. To be transformed from one degree of glory to another means that you are not only given an external or behavioral transformation that the law was trying to accomplish, but that you are given an internal and moral transformation. God changes your heart. Jesus lifts the veil. You want to engage in the things of God. You have a desire and an affection because the Spirit gives you life. Every single person in this world is born in the image of God and therefore has a level of glory. That image is tarnished by sin, but through faith in Christ and being transformed more into his likeness, we are being transformed from glory to an even greater glory and then to the greatest glory. You will be transformed from glory to a greater glory when he returns and you will be perfected forever a glory that is like his. That is the work that Jesus completes in us. That's the destiny for people who are his children. You will be reflections of the glory of God purely forever. If you go for a walk this evening and there happens to be a full moon, you'll recognize that that moon is so bright that it even casts shadows over the darkness of the night as you walk. But of course, the moon has no light of its own. 
it's shone and it is lit up so brightly because the sun is shining on it. It merely reflects the sun's light. And in the same way, friends, we don't have glory (laughs) intrinsically of our own. Only such as is reflected from the light of Christ that shines upon us. That is what we live for. That is what we bask in that radiance to reflect, to bring it to bear on the world around us, not for our sake, but for the praise of his glory. And so for those of us today who have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus, this is the call. For those of us who desire an external order and law in this life, look to the Spirit. For those of us who have hard hearts, ask for soft ones. For those of us who cling so desperately to the temporary things of lesser glory, look to the permanent. For those of us who can't experience the glory of the Lord, his beauty, his splendor, his grandeur, his honor, his holiness, his power, his might, his majesty, his glory, we turn to Jesus and we ask that the veil be lifted today and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you continue to explain to us how great a salvation it is that we have through your son, Jesus. God, we want to be bearers of your glory and we want to continue to experience your glory. Continue your transforming work in us to its completion, we ask. For those today who have a veil over their hearts. God, today, lift that veil as they turn to your son and they receive his overwhelming love and grace and experience your glory. We thank you, Father, for this great, great blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And finally, you know, one of, uh, one of the biggest blessings that we have in this life is to experience the presence of God on a regular basis and the high priestly blessing which many of you could recite by memory has some very specific language in it about God looking upon you making his face to shine upon you and his countenance coming upon you Those are all words to describe the fact that the veil is gone. That God in his glory can engage you and you can behold him. And so as you go this morning, hear these good words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.